The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. It doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. For those of you old enough to remember drive-in theaters, one of the notions floating around was that at a drive-in theater, below the level of conscious awareness, they would flash... Uh, supposedly above the level of sensory awareness, they would flash a sign, go to the, what what did they call those things, uh, the, the, where you got the food? Go to, they didn't say go to where you get the food, but they had a name. Now, that was called subliminal advertising. Supposed to be very effective. You were not even aware that you were being influenced It was happening below your level of awareness, but above your level of some kind of unconscious sensory input. Wouldn't that be great if it were so? Now, it's not so. Pretty much researchers have concluded that you have to be aware of an influence to be influenced by it. I don't know if I followed that by the time of the show, that if there's something that's subtle, subliminal, call the show, that it would make any effect whatsoever. Dr. Ray is great. So I've tried it in past shows. You'll be helpful. And it doesn't seem to do a whole lot. He can help you. But nevertheless, if it matters to you, call Eric. Um, we'll, We'll see what we can do with some subliminal stuff. All right. So, the number, uh, you might not have gotten that. I'll, uh, I'll ratchet it up. 877-573-7825. equal. That's the number to call to get out of the program. Very much like to hear from you. Appreciate your calls very much. When I was in the early days of my shrinking, I was a shrinkling, just gotten out of grad school, a very high-profile public disorder, it was called that then, was anorexia. Uh, Twiggy was around about at that time, and this whole idea of looking a certain way was gaining an enormous amount of momentum among adolescents. So even though eating disorders are still with us, 
there was quite a peak back in those days. One of the characteristics of an eating disorder was a distorted body image. In other words, the person saw, and it was more common among girls, although later manifestations of it included a lot more boys. I had a couple boys like that. Not my own boys, I mean clients. My own boys, I couldn't fill them up with food. Hence the buffet. One of the early manifestations of that was that the individual saw themselves as fat. They looked in the mirror and what might have been normal body type or or perhaps there was even a, a, a half an inch of fat around the middle was seen as uh, grotesque, obese. And we realize that as psychologists and inpatient settings, they dealt with helping them to get their body image back in line with reality. And we recognized it as a disorder, a thinking disorder, a distorted body image. It was very clear, very common, very understood. Nobody argued it. One of the points I brought up before on this program is when one has a distorted body image, you got to explore the reasons for it, which is what we did. We had to look at how this person got to think this way, how they began to see themselves as other than they were. A standard therapeutic approach. Of course, one might hear in me a parallel to something that's going on with with some anyway in the transgender movement. But I hadn't really heard a whole lot about it until today. I happened to catch a popular radio show. They were talking about an individual, a high-profile individual, who posted on what used to be Twitter. It's now X, I guess that she was anorexic and 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 seriously seriously malnourished looking seriously <clears throat> people were responding she's got a disorder she's not thinking right what's wrong with her and the host in a mocking way said we can't do that That's her reality. Who are we to say that she's disordered? Who are we to say that she needs to understand the dynamics behind how she sees herself this way? What has entered into this? No, we're not supposed to do that. We are to affirm her. We are to say... At 80 pounds, if you want to get to 60, well, that's good. Your decision, that's how you see yourself. We applaud you. But nobody was doing that. Almost uniformly, they were saying, what's wrong with you? Why are you, why are you so confused about seeing yourself? Now, it was really the first time I've actually heard somebody draw this parallel. I've been wondering about it now for the last couple of years. If a 
five foot two, eighty-two pound, fifteen-year-old walks into my office and says, "I'm fat." Do I simply say, "Well, good, that's great, stay fat, be comfortable with who you are," because she's risking her health? She's seriously risking her health. You remember Karen Carpenter? What an absolutely stunning voice. Karen Carpenter died, I think, at age thirty-two. And it came out that she had had eating problems for a long time. And this affected her heart. What she did to her system had repercussions on her heart, and she died young, heart condition. So her distorted body image led to her death. It's very selective. On one hand, if you see yourself as fat when you're five foot six and you weigh eighty two pounds, we gotta get to the bottom of this. If you see yourself as the opposite sex, we aren't going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to just simply affirm it. Interesting parallel. Eight seven seven five seven three seven eight two five eight seven seven fifty seven equal. That's the number. Please give me a call. I'm Dr. Ray. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school, they provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. I'll tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to seatonhome.org. That is seatonhome.org. This program is brought to you in part by MyLifeAngels.com. MyLifeAngels provides peace of mind by notifying you the moment a loved one enters an emergency room. Right on your smartphone, you'll have instant access to everything needed, including all legal documents, to ensure you are empowered to protect their life-affirming wishes. My Life Angels also alerts hospital ER staff with critical medical information and emergency contacts. More information at MyLifeAngels.com. Yeah, when I was younger, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a whole bunch of kids. So that I could be woken up at 4.56 a.m. on a Saturday 
by someone asking me what the opposite of J is. I had to go to confession. Thank you, Mary, from Florida. <laughs> Concession stand is the word, the phrase I was looking for. Thank you. You know what's interesting? There is... Hold on a second. Let me get it. I put it in my notes here for the uh, upcoming TV show. Uh, it's called Lethologica. If you want a fancy name for it, Lethologica is the inability to remember a word or a name. I'll tell you what, I think I'm getting into chronic Lethologica. What's his name? What was that guy's name again? Ray, it's your brother. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just slipping away from me just for a minute here. All right, got a lot of good calls up there. Let's go to a an e-person caller. She's an anonymous from Washington. She's got a child getting married to a non-Catholic. She wants to be supportive, but they're getting married outside the church. Hi, Mom. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Okay. Well, you're right. Uh, a lot of priests will say, under no circumstances do you go. However, I have other priests weigh in. I've heard them. Uh, respectful Orthodox priests. And say, you weigh this a little bit on some of the factors. For example, okay. if this person has been distinctly out of the church, in the in then in fact they've just abandoned Catholicism. There's just no way. Yeah, okay, they were baptized Catholic, but their attitude is no, no way, no how, no chance. I'm just not into the church. And it would cause absolute devastation to your relationship. I mean, that would be it. They would misinterpret it. They would be so hostile. Um, I've heard a priest I very much respect say, yeah, you got to wait a little bit. Maybe you tell them that you understand that uh, the way I believe and what you're doing is absolutely counter to the truth I believe. Um, however, um, I will attend because I do not. I do not want to create great rifts in our relationship. Now, part of your question here, have I ever gone to one of my, have I ever not gone to one of my kids' weddings? My daughter was was married through a a kind of civil sort of service. And she asked my wife and I some few years later Dad, we're going to have a, a kind of a celebration on a beach. And I need you to walk me down. I said, I can't. I, I, can't. I can't walk you down. Dad, we're married. I, I know you think you're married. But you were raised Catholic. You know what the church teaches. You haven't abandoned the church. Dad, we're married. It turns out, and this is my obliviousness, the previous Christmas when they were visiting our home, they mentioned that they had their marriage blessed. I missed it. So she explained to me, Dad, we had our marriage blessed in the church. And then I said, well, okay then. 
I can I can walk you down because it's not it's not making any uh, allusions to being a wedding. It's just kind of a celebration, and that's cool. All right, I got that. But it would have been a problem for me, and I I don't think that that this particular daughter would have written us off. She wouldn't have done that. Uh, she probably would have said, "Well, that's how mom and dad believe." How would your daughter react if you didn't go? Um, I would think that it would be really, really horrible. And so that's why I was questioning. Um, because in all the times, and I don't listen to you all, you know, every single day. But I've There's your problem. You there is your problem. <laughs> this is why you're struggling in your life. Okay. But go ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you stumble your way through. Okay. Okay. Well, so you're you're saying also that other family members would just be totally, completely nasty and irate with you. What do you mean, other family members? Oh, you know, brother, sister, aunts, uncles, grandma, well, everybody. Everyone's coming. I mean, everybody, and we are considered a Catholic family. Um, and you know, I, I have a you know, my brother and my sister are coming. Um, and we're going, we're going to celebrate this. Um, and it was just kind of hard for me to sit during this homily. And that's why, um, that's why I asked, um, cause I, you know, I'd really like to know. So you've been helpful. I, I don't know how good of an answer I gave you because from a, from a purely, how should I put this? literal conservative traditional perspective uh you can't go now yeah i remember i remember when when i was a kid my mom being told that she was living in sin if she didn't send her kids to catholic school yeah. i also remember and- that we were not allowed inside a protestant church if there was a marriage there between Protestants, we weren't to go. Wow. Yeah, I know it was, okay. it was, it was much, much more cut and dry. Um, I can't give yeah, you permission to go or not to go. I, I would, I would talk well, to another priest. I'm not asking you to. I, no, I talked I to another priest personally. Another... Yeah, and, and I just, have. And he and... said, he said, go, and he knows us. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. The priest the priest can can look at this and say, "Okay, there's you weigh a lot of things on this. You're not necessarily sacrificing your beliefs by quote unquote witnessing this marriage. You can tell your daughter, "Here's where I'm at. I'm I'm so disappointed that you've left your faith. I'm so disappointed that you're getting married. Uh, are they getting married outside the church? I assume. Yes. Okay." Yeah, um, it's a civil service, and it's okay. you know, it's. Uh, I mean, they're the they're really good people, um, um, and so um, I just like I said, I was just kind of dumbstruck by this on Sunday, um, and you know, because I am, I feel, I feel like I'm a very good Catholic, but I don't think I can honor what. The priest said at the homily, I just think that it would be it would be unacceptable. And so I'm going to show compassion and go um, because it seems like a lot of well, a lot of people now is that if you um, 
if you do something like that, it's going to break, you know, it's going to break the relationship and they will have, I mean, it, it, and they will think hardly about the church. And I'm hoping that eventually they will come back. Yeah. Um, and, my, and my daughter did. Okay. She got married civilly yeah, and, and, and she, she, she's back yeah, in the church. And so that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm really hoping. And to me to say, no, okay, three weeks before, guess what? Mom and dad aren't coming. <laughs> I think that would be really, really difficult. So, anyway. And, and okay, to, well, to help you, you assuage your conscience a little bit, I don't know if you should want to assuage your conscience, but to assuage yourself a little bit, you could say to your daughter, you know, I, do, I don't understand why you're doing this as a Catholic, unless you already understand she left the church nine years ago. Um, obviously. Well, they're in their 30s. Okay, so maybe I mean, they're even. They're in their 30s. She left it a long time ago you know, then. She hasn't practiced her Catholic faith know. for years. But when they're here, they, you know, they say our, you know, our blessing prayers. So, I mean, there's still, well, there's they, still they, something there. Sure, they so. still got semblance of what they were raised with, of course. But they don't, yeah. they don't want to buy the whole ball of wax, you know. All righty, my dear. Thank, thank, <laughs> okay. thank you. Thank, thank you for you. the call. All right, I'll talk to you. This is probably the number one thing. I mean, with, with this total collapse of religion, among young people. And by the way, I just heard a stat. This was from a speaker at the Napa conference. I thought it was 60%. The stat that they cited was 85% of young people leave the faith in college. So those of you on the cusp of college, thinking about letting your kid go there and Rag it up, $62,000 in loans to get a bachelor's degree they're probably not going to use and lose their faith, you might want to think about it. I'm not sure what that stat is when children go to college and live at home. I had uh, three do that. Actually, yeah, two, two, two do that. And both of them are still in the faith. All right. Uh, yeah, I was going to go to Leon. I can't believe, Leon, you did this. His ex-girlfriend wants to take him to a retreat. Now, I don't know what kind of retreat. Maybe she is a evangelical Christian or a Baptist, a little more conservative along the lines of Christians, in their view, anyway. And she wants to take him there to uh, show him how the church is wrong. Or she wants to take him there because she wants to rekindle the relationship. But then she says, and I think this kind of, how would you say in psychology, a mixed message? She wants him to pay for it. (laughs) He says he didn't know if he should go because she's an ex. Well, Leon, I think it depends upon how ex she is. If this is someone that you're not going to have really much of any kind of contact with anymore, then why would you go? If it's someone that is a friend, obviously you find out what kind of retreat it is. But then you got to say, well, why do you want me to pay for this? Now the most common answer is she can't afford it. All right, I don't know how long this retreat is. She can't afford it. What's it about? See, I knowing just what little you said, 
my inclination, if I were in your shoes, would be not to go. Why? However, there could be extenuating circumstances here. 877-573-7825. We're going to get to your calls up there. I know you're being very patient, Marianne and Julie. I know you're up there. Got some, got some heavy ones. So give me a call. It is the midpoint of the program, and this is where you usually get the second group of callers coming in because, as I remind them, you are not waiting in line, and you'll never, ever get on, so you're just essentially wasting half an hour of your life, which some people would say you're wasting half an hour of your life for listening to me anyway. However, that's not the case. We take calls on the basis of many considerations. Time online is one. May not even be the main one. If you're an optimistic Catholic, will you live longer? I'm Chuck Adica, and this is Journey Strong. My wife Susan and I recently lost a dear friend who almost made it to age 99. Varied studies suggest that we may have a better chance of living to near 100 if we are both emotionally aware and hold a positive attitude about life. Being optimistic is a Catholic thing, or it should be. We hold views that include man and God prevailing over darkness and evil, and all human life being highly valued and unique. All positive. But we need more than worldly optimism. We need true theological hope. The Catechism states, Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now that's hope. For more on this, look to the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. We now use media, and this is adults 18 and over, 11 to 12 hours a day. But if we're all connected during the day at work, shouldn't we be taking a break when we get home, when we're with our families, when we're having dinner, to back away from the cell phone, back away from the TV, back away from the laptop, put it down, silence ourselves, and have real, as the Holy Father says, authentic encounters, sitting down for a meal, media-free. How about more family time, playing some board games, coloring with your kids, going for a walk, doing the rosary with them, backing away from the media. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Ken, don't go away. I'm going to get to you in a second, but I do have to take care of a couple of rather heavy situations here. Julie from Colorado. Hi, Julie. Hi, Dr. God bless, Ray. God bless you and your husband. Thank you. We had been fighting cancer for two years, and we thought we would win because we had a form that was 85% treatable. But we didn't. He was 58 years old. And um, I read the saints, you know, just trying to find comfort. And 
And sometimes they're comforting, and sometimes they just cause me to be more distressed. And my priest says, well, don't read those, because <laughs> they're not for you. But one St. James and Mr. says that you must submit so great a Lord, humble yourself voluntarily under his overwhelming power. And St. Hedwig, you must adore the decrees of the Almighty, not only in happy days, but in those of sorrow and bereavement. And... Right now, honestly, I'm just going from day to day, sometimes moment to moment. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if how I know when I need help and how I know when I'm just walking this, riding this roller coaster with blindfolds on, never knowing what's going to hit me around the corner. And I was Jul- hoping Julie, that you could maybe is- give me some signals. Is it safe to say that by far your husband is the closest person to you ever to pass away? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I lost my mother and and his mother, but oh yeah, <laughs> he was he was my everything. We were we did everything together. We were very close. So it's also safe to say that what you're experiencing and you put it so well moment to moment one foot in front of the other what you're experiencing you've never ever experienced before oh no this hole in my heart is so big right and because of that you as as well as pretty much everybody who loses a dear loved one is knocked over by the strength of grief. And it just keeps getting stronger, Dr. Ray. I didn't I I didn't expect that. I thought you know, it would start to kind of heal, but the holes are more apparent, you know, all the things we used to do, the things we used to do together. There's just more holes. Not necessarily, Julie. A lot of times I will tell folks who come in, and if they've lost a child or a spouse, I will say, in a lot of respects, the first year, there are no rules. People will say, well, Julie, you got to get out a little more. You can't just kind of, can't just sit in your house. You got to get out. You got to, you got to start living life again. Or, well, Julie... You know, you need to you need to uh, you need to pray more, Julie. You need everybody gives you advice, and <laughs> you don't have to listen to any of it. <laughs> you can say to yourself, "Here's the things we do know: one, it's the person that meant most to you in the whole world, next to our Lord. Two, his absence is everywhere." You'll go places for the first time in six months after he passed that that you used to go with him, and now you're gone there again. Or Christmas, or Easter, or a birthday, or a grandchild's birthday, or something is new. And it'll it'll just hammer home that he's not there again. So that's normal, Julie. That is normal. The one thing I don't want you to do is to look at yourself and say, what is wrong with me? I don't think there's anything wrong with you given 
how much you loved him and all that he meant to you. I, the, the idea, there's a book I want to refer you to. It's by C.S. Lewis. It's called A Grief Observed. He was so much in love with a woman for four years, and she died. I, I suspect she was in her 50s, too. And he described what the grief was like. He, at one point, he called it like being so hungry that your stomach ached. He said it's just an empty, hollow kind of feeling. Oh, that's a good description. Sure, sure it is. Because you, you could never have imagined what your life would be like at this point, given your husband's not there. Never, You never could have imagined that. And And now... That is. And the fact that it's just knocked you over emotionally is to be expected. Now, if you say to yourself, well, do I need do I need some kind of psychiatric help here? Do I need uh, medicine? I can't make that call from here, Julie. But um, if if you're experiencing grief and it hasn't it hasn't totally paralyzed your life i mean you're not getting out of bed okay or if you're working you're not going to work or you're or you're ceasing to do every single thing that used to fill up your days then yeah then this this is something you might want to get some attention given to but if as you say it feels like i'm just putting one foot ahead of the other minute by minute that's pretty understandable. Okay, that's what I was looking for. Is uh, how do I know when I when I've passed out of the normal stage into somewhere where I need assistance? So no, I'm still I'm working. I go to mass. I have a yard and garden I'm tending to. I'm I I get up in the morning. <laughs> Let me give you a couple more things, Julie. Okay. You will cry at random. You will, I do. Be, you will be doing good in the morning for 42 minutes and then you'll start sobbing. That doesn't mean you're that doesn't mean you're losing it. That's grief. Okay. Okay. You'll feel guilty about laughing. I, I this first time I've laughed. First time I've laughed in 5 months. I can't believe I laughed. Does that mean I don't miss him? No. It means you're healing as God intended you to heal. And maybe the most important thing, I know you you can't imagine this now. You can't wrap your head around it now. One year from now, you'll still miss and love your husband, but you will not be this emotionally devastated. I sure hope so, because I'm going to run the world out of Kleenexes by then. (laughs) The body and the soul strive to heal. One year from now, you'll still miss him. You'll still love him. You'll still have your moments of welling up tears. But it won't be completely and totally overwhelming you emotionally like it is now.
Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This strange beatitude reminds us that Jesus is challenging us with his ways to heaven on a new exodus. We're leaving behind the Egypt of this world to find the eternal paradise of heaven. When we tend to think of happiness, we tend to think of it in a self-centered way, a possession of a temporary good or passing fancy. But Jesus is calling us into eternal happiness. And actually, morality is a search for happiness, says Dominican priest surveys pink hairs. We're looking to be happy, and a lot of times we end up in dead-end roads that don't lead us to where we want to go. How can we be blessed when we mourn? In sorrow and difficulty, hardship and cross, we are called closer to Jesus. It's God's fingerprint in our heart reminding us that we're made for eternal happiness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. The idea that the United States of America should now be a nation in a high-handed rebellion against God makes me choke. I mean, there are some people who seem to think that the problem in America is simply between conservatives and liberals, between Democrats and Republicans. But these group distinctions are not the most important distinction. The real division is between those who are being drawn to Christ and those who are fleeing him. All humans are created in the image of God, and we are made for loving relationship with our Creator. Any human being will never find their full fulfillment apart from God. And those of us who are united to Christ by faith and baptism in his mission of redemption owe everyone we meet the love and consideration that helps draw them closer to their eternal lover. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. During the break, we got a call from Tony, Twin Falls, Iowa. He didn't want to stay on the line, but he wanted to encourage Julie. Julie, I hope you're still listening. He said that he and his wife passed away seven to eight years ago, as well as his stepson the year before that, and he was in the deepest of grief. But with God's help, he's through it. So he wanted to encourage Julie that there is healing. So that's coming from Tony, Julie. Switching gears a little bit. This is a confusion that is very common now. The words are used interchangeably when they're not meant interchangeably. Ken from Buffalo. Hi, Ken. Yes. Hello. Yes, sir. This These two words are confusing you? Well, I guess the question of being transgender um from a, I guess, a medical or a psychological standpoint, is your gender in your brain or is it in your genitals? I mean, if one is truly you know, born a boy, male, but in their mind, see, I feel female, I feel like a girl, and that progresses to they're an, an adult. So I guess, is that medically normal? Is it normal? I don't think it's normal in the Catholic Church. But how is one to live with that as far as, you know, living a Catholic life and living a normal, uh, normal life, having that condition or reality, whatever you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> well, you now you're asking some interesting questions. You're not just asking the definition differences between sex and gender, as right. has been traditionally understood. 
Sex is what you biologically are. You're either XX or XY in your 37 plus trillion cells in your body. Your sex is your biological determination. Some time back, the word gender was introduced into the lexicon. And I forget the exact reason it was introduced. I think the individual was making a statement at that time that a lot of times people don't quote-unquote feel like their sex. Gender is now understood to be the perception of what you think you are. Mm-hmm. It's, in other words, it's in the mind. I, I don't see myself. I don't feel myself. I don't think myself as a male. I see that as a female. So the question becomes, and it, it, it's, it's, I think, slow in coming. How are so many, so, so many young people now proclaiming this kind of sexual confusion? I saw an interesting survey, Ken. They identified, they did a poll in 2014, then they did it now. Let's say roughly 10 years. The percentage of people, I think it was over 55, 60, had not changed in gender confusion. It was like 1.4% and it's 1.5%. So it hadn't changed. Mm-hmm. Among boomers, it, creeped, it crept up a little bit. It went from, I don't know, 1.6 to 2 point something. Among millennials, it doubled. It went from uh, 5 to 10%, I think, or 25 to 5%, I think. Among those under 27, it went up tenfold. Now, the question, as a psychologist, the question that has to be asked is, why is this? The st- the standard for, for all of our recorded history, we have not seen this. Initially, it was a biological disorder of extreme rarity that an individual had both sex organs or confusing sex organs. It was, I, I'm doggone, I'm blanking on the name again. I hate when I do that. Lexi- mm-hmm. Lexicological. Hermaphrodite, is that what it is? There you go. Uh, that, sure. that, was a, that was the colloquial name given to it. There's a fancy name given to it. But it's very rare. Very rare. Mm -hmm. Well, now the standard rationale is that many of these young people are proclaiming gender confusion because they can finally come out and be who they are. Prior to this, our culture squashed Mm -hmm. any of that kind of sense or feeling, so therefore... Now, one of the questions raised is, okay, well, why isn't this happening across the board then? Why is it predominantly with the young people, by far with the young people? Okay, that's the first question. I think it needs to be raised. That's a fair question. Why do you have this cohort exploding in gender confusion when you get past a certain age and it's relatively still uh, infrequent? So I think questions need to be asked. What are the influences? What's going on? What's happening? 
Um, what will happen 10 years from now when we follow up a lot of this? Uh, a couple of the follow-up studies now are absolutely devastating in terms of mental health. Let me share with you one. The, the rationale is, and, and this, is, this is something often said to parents by medical or mental health professionals. They will say, if the girl wants to transition to a boy, they'll say, well, would you rather have a live son or a dead daughter? I mean, that's what they say. Okay, because what they're saying is that if you do not explore the reasons for this, instead you completely affirm it and do what is ever necessary to change, and you can't change sex, but, but to change the physical structure of the body to the degree that you can to match the person's gender, this person will be miserable to the point of depression and suicide. Sweden did a study a 10-year post-follow-up of several thousand uh, sex reassignment surgeries. 10 years. And most psychologists will tell you that when you make a big transition, initially you're quite pleased with the transition. And then over time you need to see what the repercussions are. Mm -hmm. In Sweden, the... Suicide rate nationally is 1.6%. Do you know what it was among the 10 years post-sex reassignment surgery? Guess. 10%. 32. Wow. One-third. Now, many could speculate on the reasons for that, and I'm sure that the authors of this uh, longitudinal study did. But one of the things one might conclude, and I suspect they did, which is there was a tremendous amount of remorse that when this decision was made, they were much younger. They didn't actually anticipate some of the complications, both physically now. It's very difficult types of surgeries. And long, long, stern, long term physical complications and they also found out that it didn't over time soothe their anxiety or their depression or their confusion or their unhappiness or whatever it was that was intertwined with their gender confusion now that study i'm sure you didn't hear of it and i'm sure that 99.2 percent of my vast listening audience of 161 people have not heard of it but that study should be trumpeted sky high. But it's not. It's not. So if that can be extrapolated to a much more general population, one could say that we are encouraging you to do something that long-term has a one-third suicide rate. Do you think there's more prevalence now because the, because the surgery is available and medicine is available? If you, you didn't have a generation ago, so people kept quiet. And now because the you know the medicine has advanced, the people can say, well, okay, I you know I guess I'll try that. Maybe insurance covers more things now that it didn't. That makes well, if you say that, if you say the surgery is available, so therefore. Most pe- more people are saying, oh, good, I can, I can now come out and express my true self as I see myself through my perception. Um, the question becomes, how did they get that perception in the first place? Yeah. 
Okay, so you've had you've had exploding numbers of presentments. Here's another statistic. Interesting. Gender affirming approaches to younger people. This is not not with with uh, surgery. This is just hormonal, hormonal, and uh, basically a an affirmation. In one study, led to a three times mortality rate. Three times the norm of mortality of all types. Now, one might raise the issue of, okay, what is the repercussions of giving hormones, female hormones, to a male and vice versa? What what are those repercussions? And these things, I think, are really not being looked at. And and at some point, we're going to have to. So there's just kind of a primer on all of this stuff. Ken, I do thank you for uh, giving me the chance to extrapolate on gender versus sex. This is Dr. Yes, thank you very much. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. Angelica Live Classics. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Television and Radio. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. As a Catholic mom, I know that parenting can be hard, frustrating, and lonely. But it doesn't have to be that way anymore. I'm Lisa Popcheck from More to Life, inviting you to become a premium member of Catholic Home. That's CatholicHOM.com. It's an online community dedicated to supporting Catholic parents like you. At Catholic Home, you can chat with our team of family life coaches every day, get expert help with discipline issues, self-care, creating a stronger marriage, living your faith at home, or just coping with the stress of being a Catholic parent in today's world. In addition to personalized expert support, you'll get access to tons of creative resources, entertaining videos that teach your kids how to get along and love the Lord downloadable activities, monthly live parenting Q&As, and a supportive community and tons of other benefits, like my Momfidence podcast. Go to CatholicHOM.com today and become a premium member of the Catholic Home Community. Again, that's CatholicHOM.com. I can't wait to see you there. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ray Grandy here. This dear lady, this dear, dear woman has been on the line the whole show. Marianne is from Buffalo. I, on the other hand, am from humans. Hi, Marianne. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, Dr. Ray? My dear, what is this? Are you still are you still just eating applesauce? No, no. I'm eating a little bit better. I mean, when this happened, it really brought upon me a lot of anxiety along with this fear of choking. So I am eating better now than I was a few weeks ago. Um, I'm learning to distract myself. So while I'm eating, I will read 
I'll even get on the internet and look for things that are of interest to me. So that's helping me. Okay. Um, are you chewing your food up real good? I am. I'm eating slow. I am eating slowly. It's okay. the idea that I just can't get it out of my head. Probably the biggest fear is liquids. Liquids? I eat ice chips. Yeah, I eat ice chips. I can you're, do that. You're, you're afraid of choking on liquids? Yeah. Yeah. When I was a child, my mother had a fear of choking, and she put this fear into me. Ooh. And for some reason, you know, I don't know what happened. It was in my subconscious. It didn't bother me. But for some reason, it's come to light right now, and it's really bothering me. Well, have you had any recent experience of anything like that? Yeah, I did choke. That's why. That's on, why this happened. On what? Um, it was dinner that I was eating. It was a liquid. Well, you didn't choke. Let, let, okay, let, let's do the first thing here, my dear. Let's get your language right. Okay. All right? Okay. Okay. Language, language has a lot of influence. You didn't choke. You coughed like crazy. Okay. You went down the wrong pipe. Right. If that, if that epiglottis doesn't slap shut and you take, say, for example, a, a breath in and there's a little confusion in the body's response, some of that goes down into the lungs. Not much, but you can go into a coughing fit like crazy. I did that. Okay. I did that. Uh, I was at mass a couple of days ago, and I burped up something from eating, and I, I, I had to leave mass. I couldn't stop coughing. Oh, like indigestion? Yeah, yeah. I just walked out, and so they didn't go out. These poor people, especially post-COVID, you know, everybody's so panicky. You know, if you cough, look out. They throw their masks on to get their visor <laughs> out. So I had to leave mass. Yeah. I said to my wife, I said, I'll be back. So I went out and I coughed and coughed and coughed until it was done. That's what you did. I, well, I'm not a doctor, so I can't say. But liquid, that's what happens with liquid. You cannot physiologically choke on liquid unless it's a big old ice cube, which is a different state of water. Okay. So okay. let's not call it choking. All right. Now, so the you dis- don't think that I'm type of help, like counseling or anything like that? Well, you could. The problem with fears is, and you're going to be a look-back call because you, you, you've touched on a lot of how fears form. The problem with fears are is that in your head you create a danger. But there is you're no right. danger. But there is no danger. That's the problem. And as you've noticed, you're able to eat a little better and nothing bad has happened. And so uh-huh. inch by inch or calorie by calorie... You are finding out that my fear of choking is not real. It's in my head, not in my throat, especially with liquids. So you call me back okay. there, but you don't. You have nothing to fear from liquids other than a coughing jag if it happens. Okay. All righty, my dear. Thank you for your kind patience. You were very patient. You stayed on the line. You paid attention to me a whole lot longer than Andrew Kruchek who is my producer, pays attention. Walk with God. And Julie, he'll help you walk through some of that grief. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook.
The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 